Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. to another edition of the Night Report Podcast. I am Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is Richie Schneiderite. Richie, we're going to talk the Temple game today. Uh, later on in the show, we're going to be joined by the assistant editor of Owlscoop.com, Kyle Goss. But first, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. You can find reviews for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be a top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. You can head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. You can use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online with Game Starts. Mike, I gotta ask, how's, how's your betting going recently? Because I'm on a little bit of a hot streak, and I, I gotta, I gotta say, if this, this bet online is actually kind of working for me. I've had some, uh, I've had some heartbreakers recently. <laughs> so I had, I, I did a an in-game bet for when the the Bengals were down 17-13. It was a money line oh. bet. Okay. Uh, obviously, they sh- they had like four chances to win that game, and they didn't. Um, and also, I had a pretty big money line. I had a money line parlay that was ruined by the Broncos on Monday night oh. too. So I had some heartbreakers this week. Uh, There's just so many things that went wrong in both those games. I feel like yeah. if you rerun those games ten times, I probably win them nine. So on to next yeah. week. On to Cincinnati. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, I, I do have to say, I, I hit pretty pretty nicely on the Giants and uh, Saquon Barkley nice. over 100 yards. So I mean, nice little parlay right there. So that must have been pretty huge. So I think it's over under on yards last week. It's it was. Rushing yards was like fifty something. So. Yeah, I think on uh, on Bet Online it was like plus eight fifty or plus eight hundred. Wow. Like that. So I was like, oh, let's go, baby. That's sick. But uh, well, yeah, congrats. Well, yeah, I know it's it's hard to uh, sorry to brag a little bit, but no, nah, it's all good. Um, anyway, we're also sponsored by Adam Goldman. He's the franchise coach. Are you trying to change up like your life a little bit? Trying to kind of tired of sitting at your desk in your little cubicle all day long or making podcasts on the night report. Um, sign up for Adam <laughs> Goldman. He's the franchise coach. Um, he's an experienced entrepreneur, a Jersey guy, night report member, Scarlet Knights fan. Um, we're going to get him on one of these podcasts soon to talk a little bit Rutgers football from a fan's perspective. I know obviously Mike's a fan too, but uh, got to get a little different perspective here. And uh, if, if you guys want to change up your career, just hit him up, franchisecoach.net. Um, he's been doing this for over a decade, and he can kind of help you find, like, a new type of American dream. Um, I know that's kind of like the old corny saying, like, the American dream, but, like, hey, you want to change up your life, make a little bit of money on the side, own a business, own your own business, uh, 844-800-3726. His name's Adam Goldman. Uh, give him a call today. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe I'll look in some franchisee there you go. later in my life, but... Probably not right now. You run a Dunkin' um, Donuts or something? A little Dunkin' Donuts, a little <laughs> little Ron McDonald's. Uh, we'll there see. you go. Um, so, yeah, it, Kyle's going to be joining us shortly. But high level, what are you hoping to see in this one? In Temple, you'll be there this ap- this, uh, this upcoming Saturday. So what are you hoping mm-hmm. to see out of this, uh, this game for Rutgers? 
Um, honestly, like I know I kind of hinted at it in the podcast before this, uh, earlier in the week. I, I just see a Rutgers team that's probably going to beat this Temple team pretty easily. I just want to see them establish a run game. I, I do want to see a quarterback step up. I know we kind of saw Evan Simon be the guy last week. Is that going to happen right away? Is that going to happen this week? It's tough because, like, they're going to still split these reps. Like, it's going to be Gavin Wimsat at the end of the day playing, I don't know, 30 reps, 40 reps, depending on how long the offense is actually out there. Um, we saw Evan, I think, only got 25, something around there. Um, but I do want to see a quarterback step up. I want to see the running game kind of take that next level. I know we saw Al Shadi Salam kind of be that home run hit. I'd like to see him get a couple more carries because I do think at the end of the day, this will be probably a blowout game. It's a first-year head coach. Um, you're always going to get a pretty good matchup against those first-year head coaches as they're still trying to install a lot of stuff. A lot of new guys on the Temple side. I think there's like four or five Juco guys on their defense alone. Yep. Um, they're not highly ranked dudes. Uh, I think you should just keep establishing that that presence in the uh, in the trenches too. I know after reading some of the Temple message boards, they're like, "Rutgers, yeah, we gotta we gotta do something about their O line, D line. Like they're gonna dominate us in the trenches." And I'm like, I haven't heard that in like. Quite I know, some right? Time. <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing. I mean, this O line is is pretty big, like, and it's it's been pretty good so far. Let's see if they can keep that up and kind of just get a quick win, get an easy win, and then uh, just move on to Iowa next week. Yeah, um, this is one that I just I don't want to see anybody get hurt. I want to see a clear answer at the quarterback position. Personally, I want to see either. I, I feel like Evan Simons kind of pulled away, in my opinion, but mm. I feel like the switching back and forth against Iowa might be problematic. Like it's not something that, especially in like goal line situations, I'm fine with it. But in terms of just like marching between the twenties, I'd like to see some clarity there. Yeah, uh, joining us point. now is Kyle. Kyle Goss or Gauss? I'm sorry. Gauss, like house. How are you guys? Gauss. I'm good. How are you? Good. It's better until I saw another Sixers fan in the chat. Look out. This is my <laughs> season. Yeah, I'm You're a Nets fan, right? Yes. Thank yeah, God. Good luck Wait, with that. Hey, hey. You never know. You never know. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, I'm, maybe I'm they'll a, all play. I'm a Philly area sports guy, so I'm, I'm here with you in solidarity. Oh, now. awesome. Where you, uh, yeah. Where'd you grow up? Where are you from? So I grew up in South Jersey. So I grew up in, right near at Long Beach Island. So I'm kind of okay. like in between the uh, the two sports zones between New York and Philly. I just gotcha. Uh, you chose the right one, so it's fine. Thank oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, we're here to here. talk our our upcoming matchup between our two teams uh, on Saturday. Should be a really nice day in general to see a football game. It's your guys' homecoming. So just kind of give us some high-level thoughts on where Temple is right now. You're obviously entering Game 3 under a new regime in Stan Drayton. So tell us what you're thinking about Stan Drayton to start and where you think Temple is as a program at the moment. Sure. Uh, I know nothing more about Temple Week 3 than I did Week 0. That's how I would kind of <laughs> summarize that. Uh, the first game, I think, is obviously a kind of a combination of an that they laid an egg against Duke, but also kind of the sense that the offense looked a lot worse with Dwan Mathis in it. That when they make that switch to EJ Warner against Lafayette, obviously the son of Kurt Warner, NFL Hall of Famer, all of a sudden, not only did it look more successful, it looked completely different. It went from kind of a have Dwan Mathis hold on to the ball, see if he can make things happen with his feet, go from there, and it became EJ Warner get the ball out of your hands as quickly as possible. I just tweeted this because I, I finally had some time to dig into some uh, pro football focused stats. He had the second quickest release time of any quarterback any in the nation this season against Lafayette. So just the way that they kind of ran their offense is completely different. 
Uh, I think they have talent on defense, to be honest, um, more than maybe you expected. They really hit the transfer portal and JUCO levels hard with that in the offseason. Offense is still just entirely up in the air at this point because it's hard to read too far into either one of them. Not that they lit up the scoreboard against Lafayette, but they moved the ball pretty well. They ended up getting 30 points. Uh, But Duke, obviously the opposite. So I wish I had more of a concrete, hey, this is the (laughs) wins they're going to have and this is what the future looks like. But I don't think anybody could tell you that with a straight face at this point. So I did want to talk the quarterback position with you because that seems to be a, a, a very hot-button issue with you guys. Juan Mathis, obviously, he's super talented physically, but he just doesn't seem to have it as a quarterback. Uh, he certainly didn't against us last year, um, but it seems like he's had some struggles. And Quincy Patterson was your guy's backup on the depth chart, and EJ Warner being thrown into the, the Lafayette game and now being named starter seemed like a bit of a surprise to, to not only fans but to kind of everybody. Yeah, I think that's completely on point. I mean, Quincy Patterson, when people were excited about them bringing him in, because that's a guy that was pretty highly touted, uh, an elite 11 quarterback when he went to Virginia Tech, and then had had success when he went to North Dakota State. Like, he went 7-0 as a starter last year. It probably is kind of telling that once he got healthy after getting injured in North Dakota State, he came back as a running back. That's probably a little more telling than you would think. Interesting. Um, but yeah, EJ Warner kind of leapfrogging from three to one was interesting. It is important to note that he has not been named the starter for this week. I understand that all the media uh, articles and podcasts and probably me are, are pretty much uh, penciling, putting, penciling him in as a starter, but Stan Drain was pretty adamant that like, hey, he's going to get first team reps this week, but so is uh, Dwan Mathis, so, are, so is Quincy Patterson. We're going to figure it out. All that being said, I would be shocked if he's not starting against Rutgers, but kind of is what it is. I think it's also a little telling that Kurt Warner went to a random Kansas State game to see his other son, Cade Warner, play 10 snaps as a wide receiver as opposed to his son starting playing quarterback, which kind of tells me that nobody really saw it coming. Uh, I I think with today's day and age of football, where you have that four-game rule for redshirting, it opens itself up to things like this. Throw him into the fire, and it's a game that you're going to win regardless. Uh, If he looks good, which he did, you see what happens. If he looks bad, then you say, okay, well, we redshirt him and we move on from there anyway. So he, what's interesting is he wasn't a spring enrollee. So a lot of times you, when you see these kids come in and start as true freshmen, they got here in January. He didn't show up until June, July. Uh, he only had the 15 practices in August and now another two weeks worth and has shown the ability so far to at least put the ball in the right place, which is I, I, I listened to a little bit of the Shana press conference this week and he Kind of what he uh, pinpointed earlier this week of, hey, he gets the ball out, he gets, gets the ball into his playmaker's hands, and he sees what happens. So definitely interesting. Uh, it, it made my job a lot more interesting, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, because this grade on PFF, you kind of mentioned PFF grades, was really high last week. He had an 87.4 grade in his 46 snaps. Uh, he seems a bit undersized. Maybe he doesn't have the yeah. strongest arm, but he is accurate and gutsy. Like, he was getting creamed on some of those passes, but standing in there and taking the shot and delivering an accurate ball. So... Uh, yeah, he's like a, a guy on Tinder. If he says he's six feet, he's five ten. Like, <laughs> that's, that's what he is. Like he's 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 five ten, five eleven. If I look at him eye to eye, I'm probably an inch taller than him. I'm not that tall of a dude. So uh, I think the offensive line kind of, like you said, he got creamed on a couple of those, which also probably lends itself to why did he have to get the ball out so quickly? Uh, because yep. he didn't have that much time. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you've uh, seen about Stan Drayton so far as a coach. It's still early, obviously. Everything, if I'm a vibes guy, I guess, and my vibe on him is a lot better than it ever was on Rod Carey. Um, there was a lot of 
burnt bridges in the local areas with high schools, um, a not AU teams, seven on seven teams, things like that. That Stan Drayton seems like he's done a pretty good job of repairing, even with the alumni. Like Temple's alumni were kind of against Stan Drayton towards the end. You had guys that were previously single digit players at Temple that transferred out or left or graduated that weren't coming back, and that mm-hmm. changed almost immediately with Stan Drayton. The recruiting, uh, if you're kind of like an outsider perspective and you're looking, you're saying like, well, that's pretty much the same as what Rod Carey did. I think they're doing a better job of kind of trusting the tape. They're even getting guys that the way when Temple was really good and it was really successful, it wasn't necessarily going toe to with Penn State, uh, Maryland, stuff like that for recruits. It was finding those two stars and building them up into future NFL pros. Obviously, it's early to tell if Stan Drayton's going to do that, but a lot of the true freshmen that are playing and the JUCO transfers that are playing are guys that were not highly touted. EJ Warner, I think we got a mailbag question about this. EJ Warner was going to commit to UConn and had his offer pulled from UConn. So like there, there's other stuff going on that he's not going out and beating out Boston college and Ohio state for these quarterbacks like Dwan Mathis and Quincy Patterson were highly touted guys. They just got beat out by a two-star quarterback. So I think they're going about doing things the right way, which is encouraging, but it's also week three of his tenure. (laughs) Yeah, so, so I want to piggyback on that one a little bit. Obviously, Fran Brown's been mentioned with that job a million times over and over again. Sure. Do you think they made the right choice over Fran Brown? I, you could say it. Stan Drayton's not going to watch this podcast probably, so I think he'll be okay. <laughs> uh, well, it's an interesting question. I think they would have had more immediate headline success with Fran Brown. Mm-hmm. Like, Fran Brown would have come in, and I think this was half of Fran Brown's pitches the three times that he's interviewed for the head job. Was <laughs> I come in these 10 guys are going to follow me from whether it's Rutgers or Baylor or wherever, mm-hmm. or I I grew up with this seven on seven coach. He's going to send four guys my way. We're going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. I think they would have had more immediate success, whether or not they would have had more success on the field in the next three years. I'm not sure. Uh, to be honest, I, I love Fran Brown, the Fran Brown for a decade. I think Fran Brown's still a job away from that job. I think he made the right decision going to Georgia because it's easier to go from being a position coach at Georgia winning a national championship to becoming a head coach at the AAC level. I mean, you just saw Stan Drayton do it from being a position coach at Texas to being an AAC head coach. I think it would have been kind of hard to sell the outside world on position coach at a team that for, let me be, let me be clear. I think Rutgers is on the right path to go from position coach to AAC head coach would might've been a bit of a, a reach. he's also still so young. Like, I agree. like Fran, you have yeah. 25 more years in your coaching career. Go become defensive coordinator somewhere or be successful down in Georgia and then come replace Stan Drayton when Stan Drayton leaves to be that coach of Texas Tech. Like, Yeah, a lot of Rutgers fans had a hard time understanding why Fran would go from, you know, Rutgers as the DB's coach to Georgia as the DB's coach. And obviously we're fans. There's certain people are fans for a reason because they're fanatics. Uh, it was clearly the right career move on his part. Uh, we had the same kind of hesitation where, you know, he, there was rumors that he would have possibly stayed if we had named him the defensive coordinator, but he's not really known for his X's and O's. He's known because he's one of the best recruiters in the country. What, what so. you guys just said is essentially my life for the last six years. <laughs> <laughs> when Matt Rule went to Baylor, uh, Jeff Collins offered Fran defensive coordinator, and Rule told Fran, if he's not going to let you call the X's and O's, then don't do it. Jeff Collins, yeah. a former defensive coordinator, was like, no, I'm calling the X's and O's, so he didn't stay. And that was a hard pill for a lot of Temple fans to swallow. So. Yeah, we're, we're, you're just talking to past Kyle. You're talking to 2016 <laughs> Kyle that had to deal with this. Um, uh, Spence, you want to go? Me? You? Yeah, you go ahead. 
All right, so I got to ask about this running game. Obviously, I think Sadie's technically the starter, but it seems like they're kind of split in reps between Hubbard and Norwood too. Um, Sadie led the team in uh, rushing yards last year. What, what's what's going on here? Is it just a running back by committee or like? Yeah, Hubbard actually started against Lafayette, and he looked good okay. in the first half, and then he comes out the second half, and he fumbles the ball and never saw the field again. I think it's important to kind of remember that Stan Drayton is a former running backs coach. That's what he's made his bread and butter doing. And yeah. they have three guys. Originally, it was four guys. So they liked tra- uh, Trey Blair as well. But now it's probably down to those three that you mentioned. They really like them. Um, I think it's just kind of be a little bit of like a hot hand and more just about ball security. So Darvon Hubbard, another big recruit who kind of looked the part the first half against Lafayette. Edward Sadie's a little more stable, like steady, I would say. Uh, he's kind of been doing mm-hmm. it for a little longer. Just He might not have as high of a ceiling as uh, Darvon Hubbard. And then Jakari Norwood's kind of the three, the third down back uh, to an extent. He got the 10 carries against Lafayette, but he's the better passing threat of the three. Um, I think in an ideal world, they, they want to be a 50-50 run the ball, pass the ball team. And they've yet to really find that guy that can say, hey, here's 25 carries and 150 yards. So a, lot, a bit of that's today's college football. Like it's kind of like today's NFL where you don't see those bell cow backs as much. Um, but a lot of it's just they haven't had the results yet. So I think you'll see a combination of those three on Saturday. So while you guys might not have found a bell cow running back, you've certainly found a target hog wide receiver in Jose Barbon. Uh, Rabon, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name, but he's got roughly half of the receiving yards for Temple this year. Um, tell us a little bit about him, and uh, because Rutgers fans, obviously, were, I think you guys had uh, Jaden Blue as your leading receiver the last few years, and you transferred to Temple. So tell us a little bit, a bit about Jose. Yeah, so with Jaden going to uh, Virginia Tech and um, Randall Jones, who was probably the more – deep threat aspect of last year's offense, just really uh, graduating, moving on. Jose Barbon's finally had the opportunity to kind of be that number one guy. I don't think he's the most talented wide receiver on the team. I think Adonica Sanders, the transfer from Georgia Tech, is is a, an absolute dog at times. I mean, you saw him at times in Georgia Tech, a team that could not throw the ball. You saw him take over some games, including their win against Duke. Uh, I think Jose Barbon's, again, kind of like Edward Sadie, where he's the more sta- steady of the two. Uh, he was an all-state, a two-time all-state receiver coming out of um, yeah, Pens- uh, for Pennsylvania. He's a former uh, Cuban native, so Temple was a big thing, at least under Jeff Collins, was that they're willing to you know, scour the international, blah, blah, blah. He had been in Pens- Pennsylvania for a while, so despite what Jeff Collins said, it wasn't as uh, obscure of a, a get as he thought. But he's <laughs> a, just a steady wide receiver. I think the one thing that they're kind of missing, which they're getting a little bit out of Michigan State transfer Ian Stewart right now, is they've been missing size at the wide receiver for a position for a while since Brandon Mack graduated in 2020. Uh, so Jose and Adonikis can't really take care of that, but Ian Stewart's kind of plugged in. But if you had to say who's probably who's the odds on favor to lead the team in receiving yards, it's probably Jose Barbon. So, so kind of you, you just mentioned size. Is this game just going to be determined up front, you think, on both sides of the ball? I know, yes. obviously, I don't really know much <laughs> about Temple's O-line. I'm looking now. I know Wisdom, obviously, from South Jersey, but sure. – uh, it's not, not a ton of size, it doesn't look like, right? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, to answer like the second part of your question, is it going to be determined up front on both sides? Yes. I don't know mm-hmm. how much of that, at least from Temple's offensive line, comes down to size. More so as it just comes down to skill and prowess and experience, to be honest. Temple's kind of bookended on uh, with both of his tackles by two pretty experienced guys, uh, Isaac Moore and Adam Klein, who have both started since 2018 as freshmen. Oh, well. Now that's 2022 in this COVID football world that we live, or I've started a lot of games. The interior, though, is pretty raw. Uh, Wisdom's, Wisdom was repping at the, the center for a while. Now he's kind of sliding into that right guard. Left guard, they keep 
they rotated between James Famineau, the transfer from Houston against Duke, but then the next week after State of San Drayton praised James for so long, he didn't play a single snap, and Bryce Toman started left guard. I don't know if that was injury or skill-based. Uh, I think Temple's offensive line is one of its more noticeable question marks, which is probably also why you haven't seen a Temple running back run for 200 yards. Uh, the defensive line is going to be a bit different for Temple. They're still running a bit of a three-man set, but it's kind of the way that a lot of NFL teams run three-man sets, where you have the three big defensive linemen, and then they're pretty much always going to have a linebacker near the line who's essentially a defensive end. Uh, they've had a fair amount of success from that. I know Rutgers' offensive line is a lot more revamped this year than it was last year. PFF's not that huge on Rutgers' offensive line so far, but that being said, I'm probably a little higher on it than PFF is. Uh, I think if you could tell me right now, if you could wave a wand and say Temple's offensive line is going to be able to keep the pocket clean for E.J. Warner and get a little bit of space for the running backs, and Temple's defensive line is going to do what it did, then Temple has a shot in this. But if Temple just comes out and gets absolutely manhandled on the offensive line, Elijah Warner, E.J. Warner has to get rid of the ball quick for keeping himself upright, then this could be a long day. Yeah, I've noticed that some like the, the primary strength of your team se- seems to be in your front seven between your linebackers and defensive ends primarily. Uh, you got two really good linebackers in Jacob Hollins and Jordan McGee, and then you got a trio of really highly rated defensive ends in Darian Varner, Tra Thomas, and Leighton Jordan. Uh, talk a little bit about the front seven. And is Tra Thomas, is he related to Eagles great Trey Thomas or Tra Thomas? No, that would okay. be amazing if it was, but no. Okay. <laughs> it would be amazing if they just like named him like, like his cousins just named the same name. But no, as far as I know, not. But that kind of plays into what I was saying of um, them having a bit of a different front because Leighton Jordan and Trey Thomas are linebackers. They're essentially playing defensive end. Like Leighton Jordan has a very interesting story where he was came out of McKeesport in Western PA, played running back at high school, got to Temple, played running back for a little bit, played defensive back, played linebacker, played defensive end. Now he's kind of that 3-4 rush linebacker, and he's finally starting to really produce. Um, he's he's been a revelation so far through two games. To be simply put, I mean, he had success against Duke. He has, uh, he dominated the game against Lafayette. He's the type of guy that you're finally seeing that step, uh, that escalation, that Aiden Hutch. Not to say he's Aiden Hutchinson, obviously, but like that level of like out of nowhere one year season. He just so far has been very good. I, I would completely agree with their front seven is their the strength of that team. Darian Varner is probably the the biggest pass rushing threat from the actual defensive line. I think most of Temple's uh ability to get to the quarterback is coming from that second line that second level. But if you had to highlight somebody in the actual defensive line, Darian Varner is uh, a guy that came in, won a single digit, uh which is starting to mean a little more at Temple than it did for the past couple of years. But uh, like, like we talked about before, I mean, when Temple was really good, it was highlighting those guys that were under-recruited and seeing them develop, and Darian Varner has, has met that so far. So I would agree that the strength of defense, which I think has more talent than maybe a, a casual fan is aware of, the strength of it stepped on the front seven. I know we mentioned at the beginning of the pod, it's homecoming this weekend. What's what's the feeling like among this Temple fan base? Do they just straight up, like, is it just like a hatred for Rutgers, or is it like they're kind of local virals but not, but they are? Yeah, so... One thing that's been lost, I'm one of the people that probably tells you that Temple being in the American, despite what John Rothstein says, is better than them being I independent in the A-10. I hate him. Uh, the reason that is, is because the beauty of college football and the appeal of college football is these like regional mm-hmm. schools, right? Like I know yeah. 50 people that went to Rutgers. I know 100 people that went to like Boston College in Maryland. Like you're supposed to be competing against these teams where you grew up with people that went to those colleges. When Temple is going to be hosting North Texas and UTSA next year, 
I don't know anybody that went to North Texas. So I, I think there's a general amount of animosity between the Temple's fan base and Rutgers fan base, but I think that's also what you want, right? Like, if everyone that's coming into your stadium is someone that you're just, I have no feelings one way or the other, I'm apathetic about that fan base, then what are we doing here? Like, why are we playing college sports if you're not getting sure. uh, if you're not getting riled up? So, yeah, I would say if you ask the casual fan, they're probably not the biggest fan of Rutgers as a university <laughs> or a fan base, but to be honest, I would expect the same from almost every scenario. Now, piggybacking on that a little bit, what, what do you think this crowd's going to be like? Is it, like, there's tens of, it sounds like there's going to be 20 buses of Rutgers students. They're probably sending a bunch of other fans, alumni, et cetera, in the area. Do you, do you, is Rutgers going to not dominate this crowd, but is it going to be a majority Temple still because it's homecoming? Or Yeah, because of that. I mean, even last year when Temple's fan base was probably at its most apathetic and least interested, they probably still got 10,000 more for homecoming than they did for a regular game, right? There's a lot of fans that this is the only game they go to. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to waste my time being a season ticket holder going to Lafayette, but I'll go to uh, Rutgers. I know a lot of people think that maybe Temple chose this game because it's Rutgers. That's not the case. From what I from what I hear, Jason Wingard, the new Temple president, who's actually been there for a year now, but because of that COVID year, really pushed for this week because this is also the week of his inauguration as president, and he wants it to kind of go hand in hand. And considering that Temple doesn't have any October home games due to the scheduling, it was this or UMass next week. And, yeah, if you're going to choose between those two, you're probably choosing Rutgers, right? So it's early. It's very early. Uh, I go back to... 2012, uh, Steve Adazio team hosted uh, Rutgers. I think Temple was actually a ranked Rutgers team. Temple was actually up 10 nothing at halftime and then lost 35-10 because Steve Adazio <laughs> didn't make adjustments at halftime. <laughs> uh, that, that, I think, was 35, 38, 40,000. I would expect a similar crowd that, to be honest. Uh, okay. Breakdown-wise, it's probably you know, 55, 45, or 60, 40 in favor of Temple. I think there's going to be more fans that are wearing very similar colors between Cherry uh, with Scarlet. One thing is, if for those that aren't making the trip to Philadelphia, uh, if you watch this on ESPN+, Plus, Temple actually, for God knows what reason, flipped the sides of the field. So the way that the cameras are facing an ESPN+, Plus is not... You're going to see the Rutgers side, essentially, with ESPN+. Plus. You see the visiting side with the cameras. I think they did it because the locker room, they didn't want to have to cross the field when they leave the locker room to get to their sideline, and so on and so forth. So the crowds that are on TV usually aren't accurate representations of the actual crowds, is what I would say. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I think there's a pretty huge connection roster wise to Temple and Rutgers from, you know, there's a few guys who, you know, who had brothers like Lacine Ture, his brother played for Rutgers. Maude Anderson was formerly a commit of Rutgers. We've got a ton of transfers on the Rutgers roster who are making a pretty big impact uh, from Temple. Like we've got former commits from Temple. There's a lot of New Jersey guys who probably would have loved to get a Rutgers offer on the Temple roster. Are these guys like particularly? Sound like there. That's what Shiano says. <laughs> yeah. uh, are, are these guys like particularly fired up for this game, or is it just kind of are they trying to treat it like any other game? Yeah, I think the first part with the hey, there's former Temple players on here doesn't probably resonate as much with this roster just because it's been so like nobody on this defensive line really played with Ifan Maje, right? Nobody yep. played with Sean Ryan when he was there. Nobody knows that Josh Youngblood was committed to Temple for God knows how long. I think the bigger thing is it's kind of like what we talked about with college sports where it's Wisdom Corshi is going up against guys that he played high school ball against. Like Adam Klein, a lot of people from southeastern Pennsylvania went to, to Rutgers. So I think it's kind of the same thing where there's familiarity there and they're still human. So they're still, they get 
agitated or whether or not they think they should have been recruited by Rutgers or if they feel slighted, like those things do factor in. So yeah, I would say they probably had this circled. I think the way that last year went probably also is still in their brain because that game, obviously we all remember, I mean, it was flooded out. It got moved. All this stuff happens. Uh, I think Rutgers originally went up like 26, nothing. And then Temple scored two straight touchdowns. So it was still kind of close in the third quarter. And then Juwan Mathis turns the ball over a lot. He gets injured. Temple goes to Justin Lynch, who's no longer with the program, and things just kind of snowball from there. So I think that probably leaves a bad taste in their mouth. But, yeah, I think definitely three weeks into the season, this is the one that they've had their eyes on the most. So, so I want to transition off that a little bit more towards conference realignment. Obviously, it's <laughs> it's such a weird situation that's going on in the AAC. You mentioned before that you're, you're pretty high on Temple being in that conference based on – Rothstein and others saying it should be basketball only and going to the Big East, blah, 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 whatever his nonsense is that he tweets. Real quick, if um, there was an offer on the table of a UConn scenario where Temple gets into the Big East and they go independent, that's completely different. That's never going to happen. Yeah. So yeah, all, yeah, with all their fair. options on the table, this is their best one. Yeah, so so I want to ask just your your thoughts on like long term. Like you got The conference is losing Central Florida. You're losing yeah. Cincinnati now. What, what do you do next? Do you just go raid the MAC or like one well, other? Well, they're already raided. They already rated Conference USA as essentially what they yeah. did, right? They went in, they took – some of them were no-brainers. Like UAB is one of the better programs in the nation, so t- mm-hmm. which is crazy to think considering they dropped the program eight years ago. Um, yeah. They're like they're, they're an established presence. They're essentially what UCF was prior to UCF coming to the American. I think it's mm-hmm. important to remember that UCF was in Conference USA eight years ago, yeah. and then they came here, they did everything right, and now they're in the Big 12. That being said, <laughs> there is uh, a lot of – Temple fans are saying, "Hey, why are we hosting UTSA? Why are we hoping? Why are we hosting Rice? Why are we trying to buoy up these programs that haven't been good and bringing them up to what essentially has been the best Group of Five conference since since the split back in 2013? Why Power are we six. doing this? Power Six. Power Six. Look, Mike Oresco <laughs> makes a lot of money to come up with one slogan, and he came up with one slogan as the commissioner of the AAC, and he got yeah. Power Six out there. And to be fair, like the Temple has Temple or whoever the American champion is, which is not going to be Temple this year." in the new conference football playoff format has an easier path to making the playoffs than a lot yeah. of like big 10 ACC schools. You win your conference, you go 12 and 0, you're pretty much guaranteed to get in there. Probably. Yeah. I think Temple's dream scenario is the ACC. I, I think Temple, if you were able to kind of take a step back, really drop the ball in the nineties when they were using the money from the big East, when the big East was the big East and they weren't reinvesting that back into their program, they were investing it into the university. They dropped the ball that now they're still paying a lot of, a lot of repercussions for in an ideal world. Temple gets this thing figured out. I think they haven't figured out in basketball. Basketball should be pretty good this year. If they don't make the tournament this year, then you probably have a lot of uh, concerns about the Aaron McKee era. I think they figured it out in basketball. If they can figure it out in football, then the hope is that they string together enough seasons by this, that all of a sudden they're able to go to the ACC and say, look, this is the fourth biggest market in the nation. There's 250,000 alumni in the southeastern Pennsylvania area. Like, this is a, from as far as like an institution standpoint, Temple is a lot bigger than these schools it's competing against. Temple should be competing at the same level of like the Syracuse's, the Maryland's, the Boston Colleges of the world. Why aren't we doing that? If things don't go great and they continue to struggle and you're playing in front of 22,000 fans in a link in the link, hosting rice, then some bigger decisions at the university level are probably made. But until then, it's more of just like a grow where you're planted situation where you need to be successful at the AC level before you can make the claim that you should be at the ACC level. So it's an interesting uh, time in Temple Athletics. Yeah. 
For sure. And kind of going along with the same kind of undertone, the transfer portal is like kind of drastically changed, especially for like how, you know, a group of five schools can really improve as a team. Because if you had like a, you know, a freshman All-American as in, in, 10 years ago, you could build around that guy for three years, whereas right. now he probably transfers off. How has Tem- Temple really dealt with uh, the transfer portal and, and losing so many guys each year seemingly because they go on to bigger opportunities? Yeah, I think recently that hasn't been as, as much of an issue because they haven't had guys that have been successful as young as underclassmen, so they sure. haven't left. Like, the guys that have left have been guys like Quincy Roche, who was a three-year successful guy here and then went to Miami. Yvonne Maje had that half a season where he's really dominant and has moved on to Rutgers. So I think you're seeing upperclassmen handle it. I think a lot of that's culture, to be honest. If you kind of establish a good scenario uh, where you're winning with these young guys and you're being able to pinpoint that, hey – this guy was here for three, four years, and now he's playing for know, the Raiders. That kind of helps fix itself. It it does really amplify when things go bad that they can get worse. Uh, like if Stan if Stan Drain had come in uh, in the exact same scenario without the transfer portal, he probably has more talent on this roster just because it hasn't been depleted over the last two years. Uh, but it, a lot of it's just success. I know the NIL initiative they just rolled out the Tough Fund. Uh, is more kind of focused on basketball, but a lot of that's just, I think they should be announcing soon a certain amount that every basketball player on scholarships getting. Uh, so that's going to kind of help maybe some of the sharks in the water uh, as far as that goes with some of the bigger programs. Not that, that being said, if a Jordan Addison situation happens where all of a sudden USC comes in and offers somebody seven figures, I don't care what university you're at, you're probably leaving. Uh, but until then, it's just Temple needs to just win. I think the fact that there's still scholarship limits, that that still staying in place, plus them getting rid of the idea of unlimited waivers or unlimited transfers also helps Temple. If that if that had passed the NCAA where it's essentially just free agency and those scholarship limits and you can do whatever the hell you want, then yeah, what are we doing here? Then it's then it's just entirely minor leagues. But the way that it's currently set up, there's still a, a role. There's still a role in the college as a college athletics landscape for a school like Temple. For sure. Uh, so, in terms of Temple's team this year, do you think they're better than they were last year, just from what you've seen in two games? I thought about that a lot this last week, to be honest. I I don't think so right now. I, I don't think okay. week three Temple this year is better than week three Temple last year. Where you saw things go bad with Temple is they win their homecoming game against Memphis. It looks like they're going to be bowl eligible last year. And then they get blown out the last nine or like seven weeks of the season, like to the point that it wasn't even competitive at all. They were averaging seven or eight points a game in every game after that. That team prior to that point, like I said, like I thought they were going to be a bowl team once they went up three. They were, I think they were three and two when they beat Memphis. So that team right now would, or the team right now would lose to that version of Temple. I think week 12, week 13 Temple this year is going to be a lot better than week 12, week 13 Temple last year. People had just been kind of, they quit on the team, they were mailing it in, they were going through the motions, and you kind of just saw that. A lot of that was, you know, coaching base, but a lot of that was also kind of senior leadership aspect. A lot of the seniors on last year's team just looked like they weren't able to kind of rally the troops and keep people's focus. So I would say talent-wise, probably a little bit better last year than they were this year, but by the end of the year, uh, what what Temple fans are hopeful for is that this is kind of like 2013, where, yeah, they went 2-10 and 10 or 3-9, and nine, whatever they might end up as. But you had P.J. Walker as a freshman. You had Jihad Thomas coming in. You had Robbie Anderson who was figuring things out. You were still competing. Like that 2013 team, they went into, I don't know, I don't know what was the stadium called prior to uh, SHI? 
high point high point, high point solution. Yeah. So they go in there. They went. They lead, lead the entire season, the entire game, and they lose on the last second. Gary Nova a touchdown pass. So like that was a bad Temple team that went to Rutgers and almost beat Rutgers because they were still competing and they had a few turn NFL guys on that team. I think if you're a Temple fan, you're hoping that this season is more like that than it was last year. So kind of rolling right into it. How do you see things going on Saturday? What's your prediction for how the game goes? I feel like I'm setting myself up to like look like a fool. <laughs> I'm not as scared of Rutgers' offense as I feel like I should be, to be quite frank. Mm-hmm. Um, like I feel like the quarterback situation, do we know is Federal's not playing, right? Uh, there hasn't been an announcement, and I don't think there will be an announcement, but we're assuming he won't play. So if he doesn't play, uh, I mean, Gavin Wimsett, obviously very talented, is still, what, 18 years old? Like, there's a reason that yeah. happens. I don't. I think Temple should be able to hold them relatively in check. Like, I don't think they're going to drop 60 points on Temple again. I'm just really worried about Temple's offensive line and being able to kind of counter from that. My gut's kind of telling me that this is close-ish going to the second half, and then Rutgers pulls away. I would say Rutgers wins this, like, 37 to 13 or 37 to 10. Like, I think it's going to end up being, like, a comfortable win. I don't think at halftime Rutgers fans are going to be like, oh, we just blew the doors off them. Like, I don't think that's going to be the scenario. No, I think that's fair because, I mean, we are we have a big game coming up after you guys. We're playing our, a Big Ten opener against Iowa at home at 7 p.m. So there's a sense of, like, we need to figure our quarterback situation out against Temple in, in order to go into that game feeling mm-hmm. confident. Um, it seemed, from from our perspective, Evan Simon, the, the other – quarterback sure. in this this duo right now has played significantly better than Gavin. Even though Gavin has those those tools you really look for in a quarterback, he's still raw. He was a multi-sport athlete in high school. He should have, you know, he was a high school senior really last year and he came in right. midway through, didn't know the offense. And he really had his first year as a full-time quarterback this past spring and summer. So he's still not all the way there. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if Evan Simon ends up winning this job moving forward just based on how he's played so far. But that's that's it's an accurate uh, portrayal of where we're at. We don't really know what we're going to have at quarterback and if we're going to keep yeah, this and, rotation going. And I, I mean, from the outsider perspective, uh, it seems like, like I feared last year's Rutgers wide receivers more than I fear this year's Rutgers wide receivers. I think there's a reason, you know, Josh Youngblood wasn't really in the rotation last year and now he is. Um, my bigger thing is I think from a Temple perspective and going off of last year, the quarterback that scares me the most is currently playing tight end for you guys. Uh, Temple just <laughs> did not have a matchup for his physicality last year. So uh, Chiano, for, for better or for worse, Chiano is very good at kind of those a couple times a game plays that you're like, oh, crap, they just didn't even account for that. They didn't account for Johnny Langdon being able to just plow over uh, Lane Jordan. So, yeah, I I I think Temple's defense has enough talent. The, the, the issue is that cornerbacks are probably a little bit of Temple's uh, weak spots on defense, and Rutgers has some burners that if they get past them, then it's, okay, well, that went from being a bad play to a horrendous play, so... Yep. Uh, Sean, I, I, don't Sean Ryan I don't think it's a revenge game. What's that? <laughs> it's the Sean Ryan revenge game. Come on. Like, you Youngblood was committed. He you messaged revenge, me like right? nine months ago about when I had opinions on Sean Ryan. I was like, dude, I haven't thought about Sean Ryan in four years. Like, yeah, he was here for three months. And yep. then yeah. I was like, I, you've got to talk to West Virginia people. They have bigger opinions on them than I do. Because he actually played. Uh. He, played he played for Temple. It was just right. 2018. Yeah. Like, it was so long. I remember asking Jeff Collins about, like, oh, yeah, like, you're probably play, like uh, you're probably gonna redshirt him now, and, and Jeff Collins freely admitted he's like, yeah, I don't care about redshirting because he, he knew he wasn't gonna be there for four years. Like I don't care. Best players are gonna yeah. play. <laughs> it's fair enough. 
Uh, there's so there's so many temple connections. It's just interesting. Yeah, but, half uh, your defensive death chart was either once committed to temple or or played for temple. Yeah. Chris Long, but Robert. You're Longer not afraid Beam. of PA Robert native. I told oh, you. Actually, I told right. you when yes, Longerbeam committed that. that he was the better of the two. I say it's not even yeah. close. Like Robert Longerbeam, Fran yeah. loved him at the time. He's well, been phenomenal so he's, far. He's been the highest rated uh, player on our team according to PFF. He's PFF's number six overall cornerback this year so far. Mm-hmm. Has he put on like twenty pounds since? He's still pretty Ten? slim, but well, he's he's <laughs> yeah. just a ball hawk, man. And Chiano yeah. kind of pre- like mm-hmm. really talks about not making the same mistakes twice and he specifically referenced a specific route where it was a it was a, a it wasn't a slant it was a comeback route that longer being missed on against northwestern last year and in boston college in the opening game he he read the play perfectly and had an interception and he kind of referenced that specifically about how quickly he's learning and how much he's progressed since last year yeah that's the coach's son aspect right like yep. he was raised the right way he played for his dad at high school like he mm-hmm. he was always going to have a pretty high floor just because he went about things the right way and he always had the athleticism of okay which side of the ball we're going to put him on so putting him on defense i always thought was more of a natural fit i know temple loved him coming out of there and yeah it looks like it looks like they hit on him unfortunately that hitting on him led to him going to Rutgers. <laughs> I mean, if he was just a little bit taller and like a little bit bulkier, he'd probably be a Georgia Bulldog at this point. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's kind of like what people ask me, like how did EJ Warner end up at Temple? I was like, well, yeah, if he was six four, he's at Arizona, like, yeah. but he's not. Like he's five ten, so yep. he came here. He's five ten, so he's considering Colorado State, UConn, and Temple. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of ifs in this world, and unfortunately, yeah. height's not one of them that he can get over. Jeez. <laughs> oh, All right, so I got one more for you. Question of the day, two parter. Best cheesesteak place. I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and is it Wiz or Provolone? What's, what's the better option? So how old are you in this scenario? Are you asking like 17-year-old Kyle? Uh, no, no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> you got a nice buzz going right now. You're 21, 22, so, but you got a nice buzz Drunk cheesesteak. So drunk yes. cheesesteak is different than a regular cheesesteak. Uh, sure. Sure. I agree uh, with that. I'll say yeah. the standard thing of obviously you don't go to the tourist traps. I know a lot of people making trips are going to go to Pats and Geno's. Obviously you don't do that. Uh, yeah. Jim's on South Street just had a fire about two months ago, yeah. but I believe that they are open again. Oh, that's a game changer. Um, as far as near the stadium, you're probably going to be better just from, like, a, a corner store. But if you're gonna, if you're willing to make the trip, uh, Steve's mm. Prince of Steaks in the Northeast is great. D'Alessandro's out near St. Joe's is great. Um, there, there's a lot of good options. I, but I think the thing you got to look for, if you're really willing to, you know, like, go for it, Max is on Broad Street, which is right near Temple Hospital. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. That is the definition of only go during the day scenario. That area around the hospital gets pretty bad and it's not controlled <laughs> yeah. that well. Um, so like that's silly. definitely a during the day scenario. The, the drunk cheesesteak is whiz, in my opinion. I think if okay. you're just like sober at 1 p.m. and I want a good cheesesteak, you're doing like provolone. But middle of the night or following a game, uh, it's a 2 o'clock kickoff. You know, so if it's 7, 8 p.m. and you've had a, a couple $14 beers at the link, oh, then I think God. you go whiz with. They don't but, change their prices for college games? They keep no. them the same? If you were Come to on. dive into Temple Stadium world, you let me know. Because they have no control over the concessions. They get <sighs> none of the parking revenue. They oh, literally bad. only get the ticket revenue. The Jeez. Eagles, despite the fact that they were funded a lot by the uh, city of Philadelphia and the state of Pennsylvania, have not been the most uh, gracious guests. Gracious typical bottom-dweller NFL franchise. Right. Yeah. They got, they got a ring a little more recently than your team. Yeah, right, we got two, they've, they've got some relevance. Uh, when's the last time the Giants uh, won a playoff game? Oh, I forget. I got a, hey, we're 1-0. Oh. 
We are one and zero. Saquon finally looks like Saquon again. Literally, they're one and zero right now. It is the first time they've had a winning record in over five years at any point yeah, in any I think, season. I think we got to end this. We got to end this podcast. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's a losing proposition here for for Giants fans right now. It's almost basketball season. That's when we can argue a little bit. <laughs> a couple a little bit more even. Couple Rutgers this year in basketball. Uh, oh yeah, Mohegan Sun. Yeah. Let's go play no up here. I have no so idea who stupid. did that, who chose that. I would have well, preferred it. I, yeah, I would have preferred it either of them. Well, Rams, that, game, yeah. that game was originally supposed to be, I think, Notre Dame, and Notre Dame backed out. So uh, mm-hmm. I think Temple stepped up uh, and filled that. Temple, Temple's biggest fear this year is being SMU, where you win 25 games and you don't make the tournament. So Temple made a pretty conscious effort of being like, what do they look for in non-conference? Oh, Power 5 neutral sites or Power 5 away. So they probably would have, if, if you had just said, hey, we want you to come to the rack, they would have come to the rack. But I think it's more just, you're trying to fill that spot, then fill the spot. Yeah, I think well, Rutgers already contractually probably signed up for the Mohegan Sun yeah. event, so that's probably Which why. Which is a weird, there. weird, I, I've never actually been, everyone I talked to said it's a very interesting uh Venue, so yeah, because you can go gamble right after. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. The best. You know, if, the only way you could sell me a Temple return to the A10 is if it went back to Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City. Oh for yeah, the conference tournament. That it used to be cool. fantastic. I used to go cover games, and then you'd be at like Ballet's Wild Wild West till seven a.m. and then you'd wake up and just go cover another game. But now you know it's in some sterile, rented arena in Dallas. Now that who cares? That's you know, an A10. I don't know where the play, A10's playing anymore. Well, that's the thing, too, is that I think both Rutgers? teams have a home game, like right after, the, day, the yeah, very next day. At, well, I know Rutgers is at noon. But I don't know what the – or it should be at noon, probably. Well, I don't know what the Temple game is, but – Temple, yeah, so the Temple, that scenario, will then be playing – No, Temple goes to Madison for the Empire Classic. Take of the MSG. So they'll have St. John's. No, no, I'm saying football is the next day at noon. So it's like – yeah, oh, Rutgers yeah. fans were complaining because we play Penn State at home the following day, which potentially could be pretty exciting, but who knows by that point in the season. Yeah, it depends I'm on the go quarterback scenario, too. At that point, hey. it might be Drew Aller. Aller. You it see should the student be. section yeah. cheating, chanting, we want Aller, we want no, Aller. I, like, I have like, enough. Oh, that's like what we talk about with knowing people. Like, I feel like 80% of my graduating class went to Penn State, so that's just – I feel like I know more about that program than I should. So there's like Temple, like chanting, we want Warner. Like is Kurt Warner showing up? Like what's what's going on? I think, how did so, this even happen? I, like, this is just yeah. We want to dig EJ Warner. Let's yeah. See. So <laughs> EJ Warner did not play like at all his junior year. He broke his leg first game. Didn't play during that big year. Didn't was the backup his sophomore year. So then he's going into his senior year with like no tape. Is healthy. Breaks the state record in completions. Finally looks the part. Uh, wanted. Took an official visit to UConn. Was expecting to go to UConn. UConn knew they were going to get Taquan Robertson, who now is out for the year. Take Taquan yeah. Robertson. And they basically pulled the offer from EJ Warren. Like, hey, we already we already took our quarterback. Like, we're not going to be able to take you. All of a sudden, Temple comes in. Temple did not announce Stan Drayton until after the early signing day period. So now you have the entire winter. Danny Langsdorf, who is Temple's offensive coordinator, was the offensive coordinator in Nebraska for years, Oregon State for years. You I mean? Recruited Cade Warner to Nebraska. So he already had a, a relationship with, with uh, Kurt gotcha. and his other son, Cade, who's now at Kansas State. So he goes during that off, uh, during like the first week of the recruiting period, starting back up, works him out in Arizona. Hey, we want to bring you in for an official visit. We want to offer you. He commits on the spot, essentially. So hmm. that old relationship with a pretty established offensive coordinator who had already been around the block a couple times kind of paid dividends for Temple. But if he was 6'2", or if he had played his junior year, or if 
a number of things, he's probably not as helpful. Or if UConn just had determined that they wanted to take him, he probably would have gone there just because they had already put in the work by having Jim Mora there for, you know, six weeks longer than Temple had Sandra. And from what I understand, the, the high school he went to, Brophy Prep, isn't like a powerhouse. They're actually pretty no. awful at football, too, which is surprising yeah. for a, you know, an, a, the, the son of a Hall of Famer who could probably play in any area because the coach is going to take him sure. to the orange kid. Yeah. Playing I, at a really bad I wonder school. If that, I wonder if that's a bit because of who his dad is and kind of his story of like, look, they'll find you wherever I was bagging groceries. Like you just need to find the right fit for you, et cetera. Yep. And honestly, a lot of it's academics based. I'm sure. Um, I, I'm just assuming Brophy preps a solid school just because it's sure. a prep school in Arizona. <laughs> uh, so I assume that Kurt Warner is not sending his kid to some school that's struggling to put textbooks on the, on the table. Basically. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I think it's a lot of it probably factors into that. If it does work out, look, EJ Warner's played three quarters of a game, right? So if, if it does work out and you're looking down the line three years from now, and you're like, wow, that became like a really good college quarterback, then it's a great story. But as of right now, it could very well be, hey, he struggles in the first quarter and they go back to John Mathis and see what happens. Well, I mean, I don't want to dive too deep into this, but you guys do have the next King Pickett next year, Ocean Township kid and Tyler Douglas. He looks a lot so better like, this year than he did last year. Like, that team, yeah, like he, he had a good offseason. Kenny Pickett, like, look. Looking at Baylor's roster from the last five years, looking at this year's NFL draft, looking at Rutgers' current roster is just a walk down memory lane for a lot of Temple fans. Sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It's just guys that were committed or should have committed or were silent. Honestly, we haven't even talked about half your linebackers were at one point silently committed to Temple and just never announced it. Like there's one of them, Deion Jennings, oh, who was yeah. silently committed oh, yeah. to Temple for like five months. Younger brother of oh, uh, Donis Jennings. 2017 kid? 2016? 2018? He was. Collins is last year, so it would have been twenty. Is he a twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen kid? He's got to be like twenty eighteen, yeah. Twenty eighteen. Corner. I think at the time he was. I remember you telling me like at the time that Rutgers was considering him for defensive back, and I was like, "That's not gonna last." Yeah, <laughs> like, no. he, just, he just did not oh, have like the speed. I was like, minutes. "He's very good at linebacker. Move him there." Yeah, it was an interesting one. How's Temple doing in South Jersey overall? Because I know, like, obviously, Preston there's... helps. Yeah, um, Preston helps. Preston. I think. I think a lot of it's still. Um, when Temple took that next step under rule is when they started beating out Rutgers for like the uh, the Sean Chandlers of the world. Mm-hmm. Linwood Crump didn't work out as well, but he got to leave Rutgers offer to decide to stay at Temple and things like that. I think right now they're still in that first phase where they're kind of just like mining Jersey for guys that weren't recruited by Rutgers for whatever reason. Like you're seeing Eric King who wanted to commit to Rutgers, should have committed to Rutgers, didn't, should have committed to Syracuse, didn't, and then he ends up at Temple, right? So you're kind of getting those guys in Jersey. Um, they're, they're probably having a little more success in North Jersey so far than they are in South Jersey. Uh, but Shire Preston, fact. Shire, Shire's no, not been, at all, but <laughs> you should have you should have uh, warned me about Adam Shire's Twitter game because it's what about <laughs> his? Did you talk to him about his twelve animals? His life is insane. He's got a pig. <laughs> he's got a pig. He's got a fucking pet he's got pig. A pig. He's got ducks. Uh, he all of his kids are like D one athletes. Yep. Like the dude just like yeah. produces like, pro- like I had no idea what I was getting into with that. And he's been a fantastic Twitter follow. So oh, he's, he's a beat he's a, poet. Yeah, the man's nuts. Like I, I'm kind of a little upset he left, but uh, you you guys I, also have a couple. Where I forgot you got Jafar Williams. Yeah. Uh, Preston so as, Brown, obviously. Real quick, as far as football goes, Shires had an immediate impact. So t- the Temple was really good at special teams until Rod Carey came here, and then they were nothing on special teams for three years. They didn't mm-hmm. have a blocked punt in three years. They didn't have a kickoff return for a touchdown or a punt return for Box a touchdown last three year, years. Man. So three, a lot of that's because Lehigh's very bad at punting. Yeah. And Devon Fox, who blocked all three, is very fast. Uh, but, yeah, they finally had an impact 
on special teams. So Adam Schneider's paid his, paid his uh, dividends so far. It's crazy because like Rutgers fans are getting pissed because they don't block punts anymore really at yeah. all or even send a bunch of dudes. And now all of a sudden Adam Schneider goes there and they're blocking punts at Temple. It's like, well, mm-hmm. he, went and got, he went and got a 28-year-old Australian punter because that's what Adam Schneider does. That's what you got to do. He's he saw a course sack and, and that was it. And be dexterous no punter. He can punt from his left or right foot and will punt from his left or right foot. So he, they, he has punted from both feet in right. these seasons. Yes, he, has punt, he punted from both feet against Duke. Wow. What the fuck? I, I assume it sets up some type of trick play in the future because otherwise, like, this week? kind of why. This is it. <laughs> But yeah, well, it certainly league. creates yeah. a situation where it's tough to overload one side or the other. Right. So. Yeah, I think eventually you'll see them just like kind of finally put that into play. We're like, oh crap! Like this is why they did this for seven weeks is because against Memphis or something they'll finally pull out something. That's insane. So yeah, they've had a lot. Of, they've had a lot of effect, uh, a lot of success in Florida, but Jersey they're still kind of just waiting on a bit. Better than under Carey, I would say, but still. Look, they had Fran Brown for five years, right? So that's a cheat code in South Jersey, <laughs> and now they're still kind of. We were hoping Preston Brown eventually gets to that level, but it was not a very Brown level yet. Yeah, you guys did a great job when Rutgers was really down at the, the tail end of the Kyle Flood years and during Chris Ash, where you just you had a great coach at the time and you had a yeah. great you had like a line until uh, you had like such a great line of coaches all getting like picked off by bigger schools for a while. So you guys did a really good job of kind of competing with Rutgers when Rutgers was really struggling. Yeah, I think if you're a Rutgers fan and you're wondering where Temple's at. Imagine where Rutgers was three months after it fired Chris Ash. Because, like, Temple had is Chris Ash, basically. So, like, can you come back from that? Sure. Absolutely. Programs come back from things like that all the time. Does it happen in nine months? No, not usually. So that's kind of where Temple's at. So you don't hire a Midwestern loser to, like – I mean, look at Rod Terry. He's losing losing games over at Indiana now. He's an offensive analyst in Indiana. <laughs> because, because, hey, why would I go make real money somewhere when Temple's still paying me $3 million? Like, That's it. Just go make twenty eight grand a year as an offensive analyst and live off You're of that. You're just so bad at recruiting. And, like, even Ash was, too. They were just, I, both of them at the same time were just awful. Yeah. They had camps for, together. A school like Temple cannot overcome lack of talent. Like, Rod yep. Carey was legitimately, like I think, like a pretty solid actual, like, X's and O's coach. A lot of times they mm-hmm. put in game plans. I'm like, okay, look, you guys are actually know what you're doing here. They could not come overcome the fact that they were not bringing talent into the program. And eventually the well was completely dry. And then that's when you started seeing guys like Justin Lynch, who never threw the ball more than 11 yards downfield, starting like eight games for you. Yeah. Let's stop them. All right, man. Well, uh, we've taken you a bit long here. We really appreciate you coming on and we appreciate everybody listening in. Uh, Rich, do you have anything else before we signed off or is there anything you want to plug Kyle before we sign off? Uh, no, I mean, uh, you're all of a sudden really interested in Temple Athletics. Uh, that Al Scoop puts out a scoop called The Scoop every week, which I'm usually pretty proud of. A little more off the cuff than um, usual. I'm on the Fox Sports New Jersey pregame show on Saturday, uh, which I, nice. I'm sure will be pre-recorded. So listen to me there if for some reason you're still driving the game or whatever it might be. Uh, fair warning is they've already announced that Lot K, which is Temple's primary parking lot, is completely full. So if you don't Ooh. have a prepaid pass for Saturday, you cannot park there. Do not park in the Phillies lot because they are no tailgate. So then they will Ugh. like actually enforce that. There's a Another crap ton of um, Wells Fargo lots, which is where the Sixers and Flyers play, which you can definitely tailgate there. Or if you're looking for a good time, you go to the Jethro lot further up Patterson. Oh, yeah. And no, laws don't apply there. So do whatever, do whatever you want. Yeah, that's the uh, – it's $10 cash only, but uh, be careful kind of lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. All of this comes with the caveat of, like, 
I hope you don't care about your car. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah I was going to say, which one's that one lot where they put the uh, the grill underneath the car? That was in Miami. That, that was in Miami. That was recently in Miami, but it also yeah. happened in Philly. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Look, the, the Eagles I mean, host the Vikings this week, or rather, yeah, they're hosting the Vikings. And I have a Vikings fan who's giving me crap about the belt. Oh. I was the worst fan in the world. They treat us like crap in 2017. Dude, you guys blah, hate blah, blah. Santa Claus. 65 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy was drunk. It was the backup Santa Claus. He showed up drunk. Backup Santa. <laughs> it was. The first uh, guy like called out sick. Really? Bring this oh, energy. Sure. He's loaded. And there's, look, with high expectations for our Santa Throwing D batteries at people. Huh? That was keep going. 40 years ago. And J.D. Drew deserved it. <laughs> Yo, I can't. I, is there a better fit for Philly, spin, Philly sports fans than Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, though? Like... No, like, like talk I'm shit so excited shit, to see man. him draw his first uh, <laughs> PI against him, or not PI, uh, uh, personal foul against no, him. Man, Philadelphia, for better or for worse, Philadelphia is very proud of what it is and is consistent with what it is. And if you come into South Philadelphia expecting, you know, roses and petals, then that's on you for having bad expectations. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, God. All right. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in once again. This has been another edition of the Night Report Podcast. Signing off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.